Good afternoon, listeners. Uh, this is Honesty Lee. I'm a fourth-year resident at St. Mary Mercy, and welcome to uh, St. Mary's podcast, or actually we call it CaseCast. Yay! Um, I have here with me Dr. Hill, who is our Associate Program Director. Hey, Dr. Hill, how are you? I'm good, Dr. Lee. Thank you for having me on today's episode of CaseCast. Yes, welcome. Uh, here we have a interesting case today that uh, actually you and another resident signed out to me and Dr. Ring. I don't uh, when I was reading over the case, I don't exactly remember that it was my case, uh, although it was very interesting. So let's uh, let's dive right into it. Uh, let's learn about TTP. Okay, so this gentleman, uh, he's 65 years old. Uh, he's African-American male that presented to us uh, for two days of worsening abdominal pain. He had recently been uh, discharged from our hospital after undergoing a narcotic and uh, alcohol detoxification and also had a, a GI bleed that was worked up, got transfused, a couple units of blood. Um, EGD just showed some esophagitis, and he had, had known peptic ulcer disease as well. Um, but when he presented to us, he had this very severe, worst abdominal pain of his life for about two days with really no other constitutional symptoms, no nausea, vomiting, or diarrhea, no chest pain. Um, and on exam, he was pretty non-toxic appearing and had normal vital signs. The abdominal exam was just showing a diffuse tenderness, uh, mm-hmm. no organomegaly, and wasn't actually peritoneal, and it wasn't rigid either. Mm. Um, skin exam was, was unremarkable for any petechiae or purpura mm. either. So uh, moving along into our workup for this gentleman, uh, we started with an acute abdominal series, which was unremarkable. Uh, We also ordered a comprehensive metabolic profile, a lipase. We did check a lactic acid. We also uh, checked a CBC, and um, we also did grab an EKG as well, given that there was an epigastric component to his abdominal discomfort. Yeah, of course. Strangely enough, he actually ended up having elevation in 2, 3, and AVF, and also in B3 and B2, which was different from his previous EKG. Given that it wasn't exactly one millimeter, we did just fax it to cardiology um, instead of activating the cath lab off the bat. And um, they did recommend, the cardiologist on call recommended that for the cath lab that it did not meet criteria for activation of the cath lab. And so we mm-hmm. continued our workup and also was sure to add on a troponin as well. And so right, we did pick up this gentleman probably about an hour before we were signing out. Oh, the and dreaded th- hour. I know, <laughs> the dangerous time. <laughs> So uh, some of his labs did come back prior to sign out, and it, uh, it actually showed that he had an acute renal failure with a creatinine of 1.7 up from 0.8. Uh, his LFTs were pretty unremarkable, including uh, mm. his bilirubin ne- levels. He did have a mild elevation of his lactate of uh, 2.3, so we did give him a liter of LR. CBC showed a mild leukocytosis of about 12, and his uh, hemoglobin was pretty stable from previous, and it was hovering around 7 with mm. a microcytic anemia. Platelets were not back when we initially looked at the labs, <laughs> which we did not uh, realize until sign-out ensued. Well, that means one thing. Which means one thing, <laughs> that they were abnormal. Right, and exactly. in our case, they were gross, like very severely abnormal. Oh, no. So the platelets were actually 17 oh, when we went to do our sign-out. That's which pretty is low. <laughs> never a good time to actually notice that labs are abnormal. Right, exactly. So, uh, and previously they were over 100. So oh. this was definitely a change. So an acute change. Acute change. And then he also had schistocytes and target cells were mentioned on the differential as well, which also isn't good. Ah, yes, the uh, hmm? schistocytes. Yeah. And so at this point, um, given that, you know, we were at shift change and that's what emergency medicine is, we actually signed the patient out and of course, I thought about this gentleman all night. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Worrisome. 
worrisome because of all the things that were coming up abnormal in his laboratory studies. And then when things aren't adding up, usually that means one of two things. One, either the patient is deteriorating, mm-hmm. or two, something was missed on the first pass, either in the history or the physical exam. And mm. so what do you do? You actually go back and reevaluate the patient, right. which is what the oncoming team did, which yeah. is what you did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then it looks like he started to complain of sudden onset of blindness. Yeah. So at that point, the thought was, okay, well, the workup needs to be expanded. So they added on, you guys added on DIC labs, hemolysis labs, and also um, added on coagulation studies. And uh, you did a CT scan of the head, concerned for a potential stroke, and also added a CTA of the chest onto our abdomen and pelvis looking for potential dissection. Right, yeah. So if laboratory studies weren't enough, the abnormality that you guys found more came back on the imaging. Oh, oh no. So he had a, a subacute infarct in the right occipital lobe on the oh. CT scan of his head. There was no dissection or PE, but what was seen on the abdominal CT was that he had soft tissue stranding in the and thickening in the retroperitoneal areas and bilateral psoas muscles concerning for a potential retroperitoneal hemorrhage. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yep. And then all those fancy labs came back as well. Oh, the, so The fancy labs. The fancy labs. So his LDH came back elevated over 1,000. His anemia was worse. His pla- it was at 6.4 now. And you also did a rectal exam, which was he was heme positive for. Sure, yeah. His platelet count was worse than 15. Colloids mm-hmm. were pretty unremarkable. D-dimer for, for our laboratory studies was only mildly elevated at 493. Okay. Fibrinogen level was 287, which was normal. And mm-hmm. his haptoglobin was severely low at 15. And his reticular side count was elevated at 5.9, showing mm-hmm. that he was compensating correctly right, or, yeah. or appropriately. Right. So now you guys make the presumptive diagnosis of TTP. Yeah. And so you transfused him given that he had the severe anemia, was also GI bleed. So you got two units of packed RBCs. You also gave him 125 milligrams of IV solumedrol and also transfused him a five pack of platelets and also gave him protonics for the GI bleed. So um, you guys also held, withheld uh, aspirin and heparin, Perfect. obviously, yeah, because he yeah. was anemic and thromocytopenia. <laughs> and bleeding and supposedly bleed. into his retroperitoneum, too, mm-hmm. yeah. And also had a stroke on oh, top yeah, of everything yeah, else. Yeah. Uh, so at this point, you guys made the decision, because we don't have plasma exchange at our facility, to transfer right. him to a tertiary care facility, and he got that, and also he did well. So tell me a little bit about your thoughts on this patient taking him and sign out from us. Oh, yeah. I, um, I do remember him now. He was, I think, uh, across the hallway from where we were doing sign out with Dr. Ring. And she was like, oh, man, did you guys see this platelet count? We're like, oh, that's crazy. Let's go uh, check out the patient. And I remember him sitting in the bed, and uh, he was a little uncomfortable. I think he was complaining of a headache. And he said, oh. I'm starting to have some vision changes. I can't see. We're like, oh, this is new, right? And you guys definitely, yeah, this uh, definitive, uh, definitive new change uh, since the initial evaluation. So uh, I remember ordering the CT scan of the head, uh, finding all these gross abnormalities, and just kind of thinking, I, I think what had happened was uh, maybe we had discussed HUS and TTP recently and just popped up into our heads that, hey, low platelet count, he's having ischemic events with also bleeding events, that this could be uh, the, the dreaded TTP. 
And that's why we uh, ordered more of the coagulation studies, uh, the fibrinogen, D-dimer, things of that nature, the, oh, the fancy labs, as we called it. Um, and then since the definitive treatment for TTP or suspected TTP was plasmapheresis, we don't have that at our, our facility. So um, we decided to transfer this patient to a, a bigger tertiary center with, uh, where they're able to do that. So uh, we keep alluding to TTP. Uh, what, is, what is TTP? So TTP is also known as thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura. So it's a rare blood disorder consisting of multiple blood clots and small blood vessels leading to thrombocytopenia, hemolytic anemia, and then it causes a hypercoagulable state and it puts patients at an increased risk of bleeding. So it can either be congenital, so it gets inherited as autosomal recessive, or it can be acquired, so meaning there's immune antibodies uh, to the Adam TS13 protease, which is a von Willebrand factor cleaving protease that prevents von Willebrand from aggregating in blood vessels, which leads to formation of these thromboses and leads to the in-organ ischemia due to occlusion of the blood vessels Mm. when it's not cleaved appropriately and kept in check. So the uh, TTP can also be present in other processes in the body or disease states, if you will. Mm-hmm. So pregnancy and postpartum when you're hypercoagulable, sure. you increased yeah. risk. Which this guy definitely was not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and infection huh. also. And all certain medications can actually cause it, like oh. fluoroquinolones sure. and plavits. Hmm. Um, our patients, the cause of our patient's CTP is not really well known because he really didn't have any risk factors. Right, yeah. Um, so sometimes they can just be idiopathic as well. As in we don't know. (laughs) Correct. So for the presentation, so there are five clinical features that are associated that were all taught by the books and in medical school. Mm -hmm. And it's usually, excuse my French, the acronym comes to mind of FAT RN. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's a mnemonic that uh, has come up for test taking skills. And so it's fever, Mm -hmm. anemia, Mm -hmm. thrombocytopenia, Mm -hmm. renal failure, and also neurological symptoms. Right. However, this pentad is only present 5 to 20% of the time. So that's why you really have to have a high index of suspicion, especially mm-hmm. if patients have anemia, especially hemolytic anemia mm-hmm. and thrombocytopenia. Yeah. And so the way the patient is going to present, depending on where these thromboses end up in the body, so right. whether or not that be the brain, the kidneys, the abdomen, so it just really depends. Yeah, and I think this um, this gentleman uh, did not have a fever, but he had the the rest of the pentad. So uh, mm-hmm. I guess that that kind of helped with our uh, diagnosis of possible TTP. Correct. And so get into the workup. So usually you'll want a CBC to look for the anemia and thrombocytopenia. Right. You'll want a peripheral blood smear. This is where you ask for that, and it needs to be done stat. Right. So you'll look for the schistocytes, mm-hmm. and then you'll need a comprehensive metabolic profile because you'll need to look for the creatinine for the for right. renal failure, mm-hmm. and then you need a bilirubin level to assess for as part of your hemolysis labs. Right. Right. Because um, usually that will be an indirect hyperbilirubinemia. Right. And then uh, other hemolysis labs you'll need will be an LDH and a haptoglobin. And you also want to check a Coombs test as well if you can oh, get that. Yeah. Usually that will be negative in TTP. Uh-huh. Um, you also should get uh, coagulation studies like the D-dimer and also uh, fibrinogen level. And this helps you to kind of differentiate DIC from TTP. Okay. And usually with DIC, your coagulation studies are going to be severely abnormal. Right. This is when your fibrinolysis pi- uh, pathway is pretty much an overdrive and then your D-dimer will be pretty markedly elevated and then also your um, fibrinogen level will be pretty low. Okay, and our patient, I think those were uh, pretty normal. Correct. The D-dimer was only a little bit elevated. Right, right, right. So more towards the TTP diagnosis. Cool. Mm -hmm. 
And so moving on to treatment, so plasma exchange therapy, also known as plasmapheresis, is the mainstay therapy for TTP. Right. And you can use uh, FFP as a temporizing measure, but you really need to get that patient to definitive management through uh, at a tertiary care center if your facility does not have right. uh, plasmapheresis. And then in relapsing TTP, you might need to consider a splenectomy to, oh. to prevent formation of future offending antibodies. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in terms of other adjunctive therapies, um, you will need to transfuse these patients sometimes if they're severely anemic and having hemorrhage. Mm-hmm. You have to be very careful in these patients with platelet transfusion because that can make things worse because right. then that forms more um, more blood clots and at least right. worsening in worse anemia and stuff like that. So right. really reserve that for patients that with life-threatening hemorrhage. Mm-hmm. And then if there's um, acute renal failure, you might need to dialyze these patients if they're having complications from that. So say hyperkalemia, uremia. Right. And then um, IV fluids for that, too. And then steroids are also used to treat TTP as well. Mm -hmm. And then these patients, when they do get to their tertiary care center, are going to be admitted to the ICU because they have to be watched very closely to make sure that they're improving and not decompensating. Right, yeah. And so moving on to prognosis. So poor prognosticators for TTP are patients that have elevated troponins, which our patient, I neglected to mention, he ended up having a troponin of over six. Oh, wow, yeah. Yep, neurological deficits and encephalopathy. When these factors are present, they present a very poor prognosis for for these patients. And then in terms of relapse, it's usually gonna occur 30 days after treatment. However, there is a silver lining in that the symptoms are usually milder and require less treatment. Now, the reason why you have to really recognize this disease is that if it's untreated, mortality is over 90%. Wow. Mm -hmm. So on the flip side, if it is treated, the survival is 80%. So in closing, so for TTP, you really have to have a high index of suspicion for it if you have a patient that has thrombocytopenia and anemia, especially if there are multiple organs involved mm-hmm. in terms of their presentation. And a gold standard for treatment is going to be your plasmapheresis along with other adjunctive therapies like IV fluids, steroids, blood transfusions, and then be cautious with uh, platelet transfusion and save that for a life-threatening hemorrhage. And then in our profession, patients are dynamic. So right. re-evaluations oh, are for sure. a must and rechecking labs prior to sign out. And then retracing your steps when things aren't adding up with the patient right. is also very important. Yeah. So always remember the fat RN, right, Dr. Hill? <laughs> you know, for the clinical manifestations of TTP in the features. Yeah. Yes. And also test taking, of course. And, te- and for test taking, of <laughs> course, and for your oral boards. Right, exactly, well. exactly. Well, thank you, Dr. Hill. Uh, that was a very interesting case. Um, it was good to jog my memory on that case. It was uh, pretty cool. Uh, kind of definitely a rare disease. So uh, thank you for that. And hopefully we do better on our exams um, and our patients. Thank you for having me. This is a case I will not forget. Yeah. And hopefully by educating you guys, I'm hoping that it will help you to pick it up when it's presented to you as well. Well, thank you very much. I don't know. Thank you, Dr. Hill.